0: Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. When the Spirit came at Pentecost, they asked, what does this mean? Well, today you're going to hear me answer that question as we look at the movement of God in Acts 2. We, we visited one home. They said, oh, no, we, we, we don't need prayer. But don't go next door because they're, they're drug dealers and drug addicts and they're violent. And I, th- I thought for a moment of Suzanne. I wasn't thinking of my own safety. Um, but, you know, we thought, why not? Why not? Why not just knock on a door and say, hey, we're, we're here in Jesus' name. Is there anything that we could pray for you? Do you have any need? You know, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? And so we did that. And the lady was, um, well, let's say she was a bit grumpy. <laughs> and she said, well, what do you need God for? God is just a crutch. You people, have, you know, well, that's normally not what happens, you know. And we just blessed her and we moved away. And, you know, I thought to myself, wait a minute. I'm glad I didn't think of this when she said it. I said, they're the guys dealing drugs and they're complaining that we've got God as a crutch <laughs> in our life and we don't. <laughs> uh, but then we're walking back to the car and we'd had a similar experience. Here's a rough area in Ber- Beresfield. Um, and Suzanne just said, she said, you know, there's a family. I just want to go and talk to those women over there. Some young girls, uh, probably a mum and a sister and a grandma And they didn't feel a need for prayer, you know, but Suzanne just graciously persisted and said, oh, where are you from? What's going, you know, and found out Ebony, who was one of the girls there, said, you know, I'd really like to set up my own uh, childcare business. That's what work she was in. Well, Suzanne has spent her whole life managing um, sort of kindergartens and all of childcare and all of that. And she started talking about that. And she said, you know, Jesus can help you with any need in your life, even with this. Can I just pray for that? And she prayed for that. And she said, oh, Ebony, or maybe I said, I said, Ebony, where, where are you from? Because we were in Beresville because she was visiting at grandma. And Ebony said, oh, I'm, I'm from Rutherford Is it Rutherfield? Yeah. Rutherford. I'm from Rutherford. And um, Suzanne looked up and said, so am I. How about we get together for a coffee next week? And they swapped nine, uh, numbers. She said, i would happy to talk about the childcare thing, but I'd really like to talk to you about Jesus and how he could be a real, his love could be in your life. And we're walking back and I'm thinking, we go out in weakness, you know? We, we don't know what to say to our, at times, friends and family. We, 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 we sort of stumble along. And yet God reveals his power through our weakness. That's what he does through ordinary people. You know, the woman at the well. The I mean, here's my plan for the Decapolis, 10 pagan cities. I'm going to send a demonized man there that I've set free. Let's go send a demoniac to uh, pioneer the mission there in the Decapolis. Jesus just chooses ordinary people and sends them to friends and families, to places they've never been to. And and I'd like to sort of us to think a little bit about where it all started. And there are a few starting points in Scripture, but the one we're going to choose is the day of Pentecost, because I think I'm in a Pentecostal church. Is that right? Yeah, okay. One of two of you know about the the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And um, so let's have a look at just a few verses in Acts chapter 2, verses 1, and we'll just read to verse 12. So I'll read it out. And this is the day of Pentecost. This is, is in one sense, where it all, I mean, things were happening before, but this is a new beginning for God's people. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard his own, their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't, these all, uh, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, that's Iraq and Iran. Judea, Cappadocia, that's Turkey, Pontus and Asia, as in Asia Minor. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt even, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. So they're from all over the known world, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Uh, Cretans, I don't think you say Cretans, but Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So what does this mean when the Spirit of God comes in power upon his people? That's what we'll just look at for a little while this morning. What does this mean? And the first thing we need to be aware of is, in terms of what this means, it's a movement of God. This is God's initiative. This is not like the disciples that sort of got together and said, well, Jesus has gone to the Father. What are we going to do now? <laughs> we better do something, you know. How about we take up an offering? I don't know. Um, this is a work and a movement of God. This is, it, it doesn't begin with us. Let's remember who these disciples are. They're total failures, aren't they? They ran and hid. I think the women did okay. They stood at a distance. They were at the cross. But the leaders Jesus had raised up had denied him and run away in fear. I mean, Peter, I imagine Peter was a pretty tough Galilean fisherman. You know, he crumbles after a few questions from a servant girl, by the fire. You know, there were people just like us. Jesus had trained them. They did their best. Guess what? Uh, The United (laughs) Church (laughs) had a slogan today, uh, uh, good enough is not enough or something like that. Well, let me promise you, our best efforts are never enough. We need him. And he loves us. He chooses a bunch of people who are going to let him down. And he says, Peter, you're going to stumble and fall, mate. I can see it. The enemy is going to sift you like wheat. But when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. And so he knew they needed to go through this failure and defeat in order to discover the presence and power of God through the Holy Spirit, through his living word. That's how much he loved them. Guys, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to give you a mission that will uh, taking the gospel to the ends of the world. And I'm going to train you. I'm going to love you. You're going to be with me. You're going to learn from me. And then you're going to fail. And I'm going to restore you. So I hope I hope you've messed up in your life at some point. I hope you know your need of the Lord Jesus. I hope you have no confidence <laughs> in your best efforts. But Jesus found them. He brought this team back together after he rose from the dead. And he opened up God's word. And it says in Luke 24, he took them from Genesis all the way through to Malachi, teaching about why the Messiah must suffer and die and then rise again, and why this gospel for uh, repentance and the forgiveness of sins is going to go to every nation, every people group on the planet. And so you'd think, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead. Okay, I just want to hear from Jesus. Just speak Jesus. And he says... Open up your Old Testaments. We're going to (laughs) go through the whole thing. And so he prepares them. He lovingly restores them, forgives them. He teaches them from his living word because this is going to remain. with. That's the Bible before the New Testament came. And then he promises them the Holy Spirit. And when we share the gospel with people, we say, look, if you turn and believe, you put your trust in Jesus, he'll forgive your sins, he'll make you new, he will send the Holy Spirit into your life. And they're thinking, what is that Holy Spirit? And I just say, that's the life of God in you. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus, whose sins are forgiven, they have the Holy Spirit changing them from the inside out. So this is a movement of God. Jesus says to them, they say, Jesus, we we want we want the chart, the end times chart, and all the dates. And we want to know when you're going to return and Israel be restored. So fill us in, Jesus. We're we're ready to hear that. This is what in Acts chapter 1. And Jesus said, Well, here's the plan, guys, for the end of the world. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That's my end times uh, chart and plan. It's all you need to know because the father's taken care of the rest. This gospel is going to the ends of the earth, every people, every place. That's God's will. We have a part to play in God's story. God's not just there in the wings helping us fulfill our desires and visions. You know, those, those things happen as we pursue Him and His purposes in the world. The overflow is God sorts the other stuff. Seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be added to you in God's way and God's time. So first thing we see here. At Pentecost, is this is a movement of God? Sure, they're pl- praying, uh, you know, continually, uh, morning, afternoon, and night for ten days. They're praying, but their prayers don't muscle up the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's already promised; He's coming. So why are they praying if they're not praying in the Spirit? Well, they're trusting Jesus' promise; He's going to send the Spirit. And they know how dangerous the Holy Spirit is and they're desperate in prayer to be ready for what this Holy Spirit's going to do in their lives. And they're crying out to God, Lord, let us not miss this opportunity. And so they're driven to prayer because of the promises of God. You don't have to earn God's blessing. You pray because He's going to move, because He's faithful, because He knows how to give good gifts to His children. So it's a movement of God. What's this movement of God doing? God is gathering a people. You're His people in this place right now. And praise God, there are other people gathered all throughout this Hunter region. We shared with them a bit yesterday. God wants a people because of His great love and the glory of His name. And so the Spirit comes with power. How does He get His power? The Spirit comes in power upon these 120 the tongues of fire, the new languages, bringing glory to God. And they're overwhelmed. You know, it's the wind, the fire the shaking of the buildings. These are all what it was like when when God was on Mount Sinai giving the law, but now He's giving the Spirit. This is the very presence of God. Okay? Now, what would we do today there? Well, we'd stay there 24-7, wouldn't we? And we'd have a live video feed out on the internet watching what was happening in the upper room. And we'd camp there and people would go on pilgrimage to this because the presence of God is in the upper room. Now, there's only one problem with that. The upper room's empty. No one's there. Where are they? (laughs) Don't they want the blessing of God? The Spirit comes in power, and then does it take them five or 50 minutes? We don't know. But let's say it's 50 minutes or an hour and a half. The Spirit comes in power, God's people hit the streets and the Word goes out to Jerusalem. It's never about let's hold these gifts, this power to ourselves in the building, okay? We're going to meet in the upper room. We'll meet in the building but then this gospel is going out to the whole city of Jerusalem. And why? Because the gospel brings salvation. 3,000 hear the gospel from terrified Peter runs from a slave girl who asks him a couple of questions. And now he stands boldly before the city that crucified his Lord and he proclaims the gospel in power. He's a new man because of what Jesus has done in him. Now, I like to lead people to the Lord. I like to get them to pray and ask Jesus into their heart, receive forgiveness of sins. But the Bible never tells them to do that. Bible never says just accept Jesus, pray a prayer and accept Jesus. That's not in the Bible, you know. You know what salvation looks like in the New Testament? You're going to repent. You're going to turn from your sins and you're going to turn back to God. You're going to put your full trust and confidence in what Jesus has done for you on the cross or you will face the judgment of God. That's what Peter tells his audience. And this is how... You're going to indicate your total surrender to the Lord Jesus. You're going to get baptised right now. So there's no put your hand up. There's no quiet prayer in your heart. Down the back, there's repent and be baptised. And guess what's going to happen immediately? God will add you to his people. And these are the only decisions that Luke counts in the book of Acts. People who have repented and believed and been baptized and added to the people of God. Say, so, well, what would Paul say if he said, well, we've got this Christian here who's not baptized? What would Paul say? He'd say, why well, isn't he not baptized? Because <laughs> that's what you do when you follow, you obey him. Be baptized, repent, believe, be baptized be added to it. so we get so this is the movement of God to gather a people who've turned and believed been baptized they're added to the community of disciples and what are they doing you see the end result of the work of the holy spirit in acts 2 is what happens at the end of chapter 2 we didn't have time to read the whole passage what's happening Well, they're gathered together publicly and from house to house. They're learning from the apostles' teaching, which is now found in the New Testament. They're loving one another. They're getting out their credit cards and (laughs) paying for the needs of the widows and, and anyone who had a need within the community. They're sharing meals and the Lord's Supper. It's really simple. but they've become the people of God, the church in Jerusalem. And every day the Word's getting out through them and God is adding to them, those who are being saved. This is the fruit of the fullness and power of the Spirit. It's the hard work of forming communities of disciples from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And it's glorious because are the, this is the new Israel. This is the true Israel, ultimately made up of Jews and Gentiles who have faith in Jesus. And everywhere this dynamic, powerful word of God goes, in the power of the Spirit, the fruit is always disciples and churches to the glory of God. So it's a move of God to gather a people from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Every people, every place. And they fill Jerusalem with the knowledge of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? They fill that city of 100,000 with the knowledge of Jesus. It doesn't mean Jerusalem was transformed. The people of God were transformed and were a light in that city. The city ultimately rejected Jesus and 70 AD came under the judgment of God and was no more. I say, well, why wasn't Jerusalem transformed? Well, Jesus never promised that to happen. He prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. God's judgment, because they rejected the Messiah. They rejected again and again his people. But the glory of God came to Jerusalem and a people were born and the city was filled with the knowledge of God and it begins to spill over. But as you read the rest of the book of Acts, you realize every now and again, there'd need to be a little bit of holy disruption in the life of God's people, in the form of persecution especially. And behind this persecution, I mean, the people who did it were responsible and accountable to God, but God used the persecution to get these people moving. And so finally there's pushback and hardship and believers are scattered, unnamed ordinary believers are scattered. Out of Jerusalem, they're chased out of Jerusalem. Stephen is martyred. What do they do? Well, they don't know what to do. They don't have any apostles to tell them what to do. So Philip finds himself down in Samaria. It's not a planned mission. He has, no one's given him authority. Oh, I might as well preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons and plant churches. And that's what he did. Now there's a movement of God in Samaria. And then other believers go up into some of the Gentile and pagan cities where there are Jewish uh, uh, communities in places like Antioch and Damascus and Phoenicia and all along the Mediterranean coast. And these ordinary believers take the gospel with them. And pretty soon, not only Jews, but pagan Gentiles are turning and believing. And this gospel is breaking out of Jerusalem and it's headed to the ends of the earth. And guess what? The apostles aren't leading this. They're catching up to what God is doing through ordinary people who are filled with his spirit and have the living word of God. And that's the story of Acts. Even when Paul is in Ephesus, like the pinnacle of his mission. He's there for three years, longest time he gets to stay. The whole time he's in Ephesus. He's teaching in in the school of Tyrannus. And then Luke says, But the word of the Lord went throughout the whole of Asia Minor, you know, parts of Turkey. And all of the Jews and the Gentiles got to hear the gospel, got touched in some. Well, how did that happen? Paul's in Ephesus. Well, he's training and mobilizing ordinary people. He's got a path for us up in Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis. They're planting churches throughout that whole region. So one day Paul can say, no place left for me as an apostle. The work's begun. The disciples are multiplying. The churches are multiplying to the glory of God. So it's a movement of God. To gather a people who will take the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And at the heart of this movement are God's people who are chosen by him for this task. Not because of their merit or their intelligence or their good looks or courage. (laughs) They're chosen because God loves them. And he sends his Holy Spirit into their life. He gives them his word. And then when they want to settle down every now and then, he gives them a bit of a nudge. And sometimes that nudge is to get you to move from where you are to where you need to be. But often that nudge is, you know, I'm thinking of a, a brother, who, who, a pastor who trained... In his church, just some of the things you've been learning, how to share the gospel, how to read the Bible for discipleship, those sorts of things. And Ray, who's a retired guy, probably about a little bit older than me, he said, well, pastor, I'll I'll do this training because you ask me to. But you need to know I'm an introvert. And I'm not going to share with anybody. And the pastor wisely said, it's a deal, Ray. You come. You come. You learn you don't have to share with anybody. So Ray did, and he broke his word. He shared with his grandson and led his grandson to the Lord, and then he baptized his grandson, and then he discipled his grandson by reading the word with him. You know, sometimes God just wants to nudge the Ray in us. Sometimes he does get us to the next town. Or the next city. But most people aren't on the road with Paul or Philip or whatever. Sometimes they are. There are some believers in Ukraine right now whose lives have been shaken. We're in touch with them. Their whole world has collapsed around them. But God is Lord. He is Lord and He wants His people not only to trust Him and see His provision and care in a war zone, but he wants the gospel to get out. He wants to gather a people because of his great love for humanity. And so this is the movement of God to gather a people who are on the way to the ends of the earth with the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is happening in the prison system in Texas. It's the biggest prison system in the U.S. where there are like two or three million people in the U.S. in in prisons. And there are literally hundreds of new disciples meeting in hundreds of small groups. They're officially not allowed to call them churches, but they're being the church in the prison system. You know, my brother, uh, uh, friend, uh, Don Waybright, I just remember when he baptised this I've only got a photo, but he's like this tall, he's head shaved, he's a mean-looking man, and his hands and feet are chained. He's got manacles on because he's come out of solitary confinement and he's dazed because now he can see colour, not just grey. And he baptised that man whose name is Jesus, Jesus, because another prisoner would normally do it but this man's in solitary confinement for 12 years so far because of his behaviour. There are black African-Americans baptising white Aryan nation guys. Aryan nation are like your Nazis in prison. They're a gang. And they've turned and believed on the Lord Jesus. You know, this is happening in high-tech companies in London where Colin and Lindsay Searle are at work training and they're going out onto the streets in the Business District of London. It's happening in the Red light District in Mumbai where Don goes with teams and down into Columbia wracked by the whole drug trade. It's happening in Beresford and it's happening in Rutherford. All you've got to do is learn how to connect, and it's really complicated. Hey, now you've shared that need with me, could I just pray for you right now? That's how hard it is to get a spiritual conversation going with someone you know or someone you've never met before. Can I pray for you? Because if they're a God-prepared person, a person of peace, they'll say, yeah, you can. And it's as simple as, look, can I just... Take a a few minutes to draw you a picture that'll just explain the good news about Jesus. Or, hey, how would you like, I'm looking to read the Bible with someone. How would you and your friends like to catch up and see how that goes? We could read the Bible together in a simple way and see where that goes. Would you like to do that? That's all that's happening, whether it's in the Himalayas or Texas prison system or boardroom in New York or wherever it might be. So are you ready for what God might have? Are you ready to trust Him? Even if it's with a grandchild or a neighbour or someone you meet on the bus, that you could offer a word of prayer, that you could come prepared to share the gospel with someone, that you could invite someone to read the Bible with you. These are simple skills, but everywhere where we train, and then people have a go, we start hearing stories. You know, we trained in England and there we've got uh, an Anglican clergyman and he said, wow, no one's ever taught me this stuff. And I'm thinking, well, what did you do in four years of college, you know? And he had people coming to him to they, they, into baptising babies and stuff. And so the family came just that two nights later. And they said, well, could I explain to you what all of this means? And he just shared the gospel with this couple. They just wanted their kid done, you know. Well, he baptised the mum as well as the, the infant. She turned and believed on Jesus. You know, Pastors don't know how to do this, but we can all learn. We can all take a step of obedience because it's not up to you what the outcome is. It's a movement of God to gather His people who will go to the ends of the earth wherever He leads them. Let's stand together and pray. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the Movements Podcast, don't forget to leave a review and, of course, hit that subscribe button. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.